This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today's episode is the CBS West Coast News Broadcast of the evening of February 13th, 1942, with commentary from William Winter. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you do? This is William Winter with an analysis of today's news presented by Del Monte Foods. There is good news in the Pacific today, and there is good news from Europe, too. In fact, the information that comes to us over the wires this afternoon is just about the best we've received in some days. For one thing, we are told that General MacArthur has given the Japanese a whipping in Luzon. The Japanese tried again to dislodge the American and Filipino defenders from their positions in Bataan province, and there was a heavy artillery duel, and the Japanese were beaten in the engagement, losing 11 batteries and a number of armored units and tanks, and their strong infantry concentrations were broken up. This is a tribute not only to the superior big guns of the defenders, but to the superior strategy and far-sightedness of General MacArthur. If we look at the map, we see that the entire west coast of the Philippine island of Luzon, from Lingayen Gulf down to Manila Bay, is very mountainous, particularly in the southern part of this area, near Manila Bay. The mountains are pretty high, some of them as high as 4,000 feet and more. Well, it's in this southern part of this mountain area, in the province called Bataan, that General MacArthur and his men are making their stand. The map shows us that this province, with its mountains, extends in the form of a little peninsula into the entrance of Manila Bay. In fact, it covers over two-thirds of the entrance. Ships entering that bay have to go around the end of this Bataan Peninsula. In the gateway to Manila Bay, below the end of this peninsula, there stands the strong, rocky fortress of Corregidor. Thus, it can be seen that any ships that go into Manila Bay have to pass the fortress on an island in the entrance, and they have to pass close to the end of the Bataan Peninsula. Well, General MacArthur was far-sighted enough in the past to plan not only his offensive action in the Philippines, but his defenses and his tactics of retreat. Because of that advanced preparation, heavy artillery was brought into the mountains of Bataan Province while there was time. And because General MacArthur had a little more time than the Japanese, to set up his defenses in those mountains, he was able to move heavier guns into position. The artillery duel that was fought today, and which our side won, is a tribute, then, to General MacArthur's astute military leadership. In the mountains of Bataan, he and his men may be able to hold out for quite a while. That cannot be foretold definitely just yet. But there is a good chance that they can. There's also a good chance that the Corregidor Fortress that guards the entrance to Manila Bay and keeps the Japanese from using that valuable harbor, may remain in American hands for weeks, if not indeed months, to come. It is solid rock, Corregidor is, and inside that rock there are storerooms and sleeping quarters, 
A hospital, enough food and ammunition, we're told, to keep the garrison of about 8,000 men going for six months. So far, the Japanese have not even been able to dent the rock with air attacks, although there have been some casualties. These casualties can be replaced by men from Bataan province, which is just about two miles from Corregidor, so that it won't be surprising to find the Japanese trying awfully hard, but unsuccessfully, to take Corregidor in the weeks to come. This again is important to our side. It has been recognized right along that the importance of General MacArthur's defense of the Philippines is not so much as an effort to hold the islands themselves because of their strategic importance. That has not been possible, after all, under the circumstances. But General MacArthur's defense has con constituted a delaying action of paramount value to the United Nations. Japan now has a lot of men tied up in Luzon, still trying to blast the defenders out of the mountains and out of the rocky recesses of Corregidor. We have no official estimates, but judging from the number of ships the Japanese had brought to the island, according to our reports, and all the information available, there may be something between 200,000 and 350,000 Japanese on Luzon today. All those men would not be necessary once MacArthur surrendered. Japan's army of occupation wouldn't have to be any larger than perhaps 30 to 50,000. Thus, thousands of valuable Japanese troops are delayed on Luzon trying to win the battle for that island. If they could win, those, trips, uh, those troops rather would be free for service farther south, either in the Dutch East Indies or in Malaya. Thus, we can see that the defense of Luzon has served a valuable purpose in delaying Japan, wasting her time, and giving the Allies the much-needed time to prepare their defense in the south and get ready for their counteroffensive at the proper time. Time, then, is Japan's greatest enemy, and time is our greatest asset in the Pacific. General MacArthur's victory today provides our side with that much more needed time. And speaking of gaining time brings to mind something about Del Monte fruit cocktail that might be mentioned briefly here. The busy housewife today, what with all the civilian defense courses there are to take and all the other extra work that war conditions have brought, has come to appreciate more and more the time-saving devices that our civilization has produced. Take the matter of preparing meals, for instance. We men think of meals only in terms of eating. The lady of the house thinks of meals as a job of planning and preparing. Perhaps that is why Del Monte fruit cocktail, for instance, has become so popular with a busy American housewife. There is no need for shopping for the various fruits or worrying over what kind of fruits to buy. There is no bother with peeling or peering. Del Monte fruit cocktail is always ready to serve, and it offers a delicious combination of five delectable summer fruits ready for eating at any time of year. When the housewife buys Del Monte, she's assured of the perennially uniform high quality of Del Monte food. And each can of Del Monte fruit cocktail contains not only fruits of the usual high quality, but a well-balanced blend of pineapple, peaches, pears, grapes, cherries, gathered from the nation's important farm areas and carefully selected, prepared, and packed by Del Monte. Insistence upon Del Monte brings assurance of quality. Well, in Luzon, with the Japanese defeated in the great artillery battle today, it is not likely that the Japanese will have very much desire to try to dislodge General MacArthur from his mountain positions until his big guns are silenced. And an interesting fact to be learned from today's battle reports is that even Japanese dive bombers were unable to destroy the big American guns today. That indicates that our guns had not only been taken into the mountains while there was time, but had been so cleverly hidden and camouflaged there 
that dive bombers, which are capable of blasting directly at their targets, were not able to find them from the air. There's another point we might note today in this connection. Notice that the Japanese did not attack Corregidor at all today. Previous attacks were fruitless, and the Japanese evidently decided that it's best to wait until they can launch an all-out, concentrated assault on that fortress, which also has big guns, bigger guns indeed than those in General MacArthur's Baton Mountain. Obviously, then, the Japanese banked everything they had on winning their assault in Baton today. They lost, and so besides losing many men, much equipment, and suffering a military defeat, Japan has lost more valuable time. In the Dutch East Indies, the Japanese have taken the little island off the coast of Borneo called Tarakan. This little island is important largely because it produces oil. Some time ago, the Dutch said that if the Japanese ever threatened to take their oil wells, the Dutch would destroy the oil facilities rather than let them fall into Japanese hands. Well, this afternoon, there's a report saying that the Dutch did destroy the oil facilities on Tarakan. Strategically, Japanese possession of this little island off the east coast of Borneo merely provides a landing spot for a further invasion of Borneo, and perhaps for jumping off to a further invasion of Celebes, which is just across the Strait of Makassar. Japan has already effected several landings on Celebes, as we know. The map shows us that Celebes is east of Borneo, that is, Borneo is much closer to Singapore. But what the Japanese want to do is to take Celebes and then move farther east away from Singapore and take all the little islands in the East Indies all the way out to New Guinea and perhaps New Zealand. The other day there was a Japanese air attack on Rabao, which is at the extreme east end of the East Indies group, officially part of New Guinea. Well, these islands stretch out in a group running east and west. South of these islands, which are British and Dutch, is the largest island in the world, the continent of Australia. In order for American aid to reach Singapore from this side of the Pacific, our ships would have to sail past those East Indies islands. And that's why Japan wants to control them quickly. Because if she does, then she might be able to block the passage of our ships when they come and might force them to take the extremely long route down around the extreme south end of Australia, which would be something like sailing from California to Florida without being able to go through the Panama Canal and having to sail all the way around the south tip of South America. Well, that's Japan's objective. Given enough time, she might achieve that objective. But there's a big question whether Japan will be able to gain her ends with her time limit. There are signs now that the United Nations are moving into position where Japanese progress is seriously resisted. And Japan has no way of knowing whether and when or where an allied counteroffensive will break out and threaten her long and already thinly spread forces in various parts of the Pacific. In Malaya, meanwhile, now that the British abandoned Kuala Lumpur, the main fighting seems to be going on at points something like 150 miles from Singapore. It's difficult, of course, to define the definite front in Malaya because there is no definite front. It's fluid. It varies. It moves back and forth with men hiding behind trees shooting at one another. But it's somewhere around 150 miles north of Singapore. There's nothing in this region which the British did not have in their favor in regions farther north. And so if the Japanese are superior in numbers and have been able to make progress all this distance in the past, there is the likelihood that further British withdrawals might take place and that the final British stand may be made in the southernmost of the Malay provinces, the province of Johor, where the famous colorful sultan of Johor holds forth. Johor is just across the little strait of Johor from the island of Singapore. And incidentally, Singapore in Hindustani is a compound of two words, you know, singa meaning lion and poor meaning place. Thus, Singapore originally meant the place of the lion. 
Well, the wild animals have now been cleaned out of Singapore, but there are still plenty of them left in Malaya. And these may have some effect towards slowing the Japanese progress down that peninsula from now on. Most of the wilds of Malaya are in the southern portion. The CBS Listening Post here in San Francisco, where this program originates, today picked up a shortwave message from Chongqing, China, in which Dr. Chiang, the former Chinese ambassador to Moscow, now the director of the political affairs department of the Chinese government, said that the South Pacific must be defended at all costs. And he called on Chinese everywhere to stand fast beside their allies. Well, that, of course, in itself is not surprising. But the interesting part of his talk was his hint that Russia is very interested in the outcome of the Pacific battles because one of Russia's most fruitful supply routes is through the Persian Gulf and the Indian Ocean. Well, these routes are dependent upon Singapore, as we can see on the map. Naturally, the Russians are concerned because what happens in the Pacific is of such vital interest to them. As a matter of fact, it can now be recognized that all the people of all the world are concerned because what happens in any part of the world today, now that the world is shrunken and is so small, has a direct effect upon people everywhere in the world. Russia has four main ports altogether, in spite of the fact that Russia is the biggest country and area in the world. The ports are up in the Arctic at Murmansk, on the Baltic at Leningrad, and on the Black Sea through the Dardanelles. Each of these ports, however, is now in danger. Vladivostok in the Pacific is right in Japanese waters, and that is in danger. And so Russia must depend upon what she can bring in over land for her imports. The most efficient route is through Persia, that is Iran, up into the Russian Caucasus. But in order to reach Iran from the Pacific, you've got to go past Singapore and through the Indian Ocean. Therefore, Russia is concerned over what happens in the Indian Ocean and Singapore. While the situation in Malaya looks difficult for the British, there's always room for a surprise. Chinese and British forces in Burma, Chinese and Americans in China, are a constant threat to the Japanese in Malaya. And last night, a high British official in Singapore was quoted as saying that the British would have air superiority in Malaya in three days, which would be by Thursday. Well, today there's a story going around that an important announcement can be expected at any time and that the announcement will have much to do with an important change in the Malayan situation in favor of the British. Well, while we're waiting for the announcement, we still have time to think about Del Monte for a moment. A few minutes ago, we considered the time-saving features of Del Monte fruit cocktail. The advantage of getting the proper balance, the proper blend and proportions of delicious fruits all ready for serving. Perhaps it'll be well to add just a word here about the importance of remembering to look for the name Del Monte. It's a name that has assured high quality to housewives the world over. For Del Monte is the best known canned fruit and vegetable name in the world. Every housewife has a right, of course, to insist upon what she wants at the grocer's. That even makes for greater respect. And the shopper who knows will insist upon Del Monte to be assured of the uniform, high quality of Del Monte foods. And Hitler is beginning to find out now that he's going to have a good deal of trouble in Russia, far more perhaps than he expected. The Russians today are pounding down on Oryo, which is 200 miles south of Moscow. And we find also that the Russians are still running after Smolensk. And there is a good possibility that Smolensk will appear prominently in, in the news in the days to come. That, remember, is where Hitler was expecting to set up his winter headquarters. Until tomorrow at this same time, same station, this is William Winter. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>